Welcome back to another episode of the TD Pod. My name is Travis Roeder, here with Jeffrey Davis. Jeff, recording at uh, 0600 again. Um, you have, uh, we both have some fantastic lighting. This is why it's not a video podcast. We're just uh, doing audio here. Um, but this is a Wednesday morning, uh, about midweek before the Texas game. Uh, it's it's only you know we're only a quarter of the way into the season, but it feels like a lot has happened. Yeah, um, the other reason we don't do it is neither of us. We both have a, we both have faces built for radio. I think is the phrase. So you know, that's, wow. that's the thanks. Well, at least not you. Know, I'll, I'll, you know, <laughs> you're still young, and you know, don't have pros feet and sunspots going all over your forehead. So you're good. Oh, thank you. Well, how are you doing this week, Jeff? Good. It's been a uh, it's been a very very. I feel like every time I come on here, I'm like, yeah, it's a real busy week. But anyone that you know, you get to 40, and all of a sudden, it's like you don't have any time. So, it's been a busy week. Had a uh, friend's wedding this past weekend that kept me from watching the game um, itself. I did not get to actually watch Liberty until um, Monday. Jeff, and, oh my God, uh, we did, Jeff, Baylor did not play Liberty. We played uh, we played along yeah. uh, an <laughs> island of New York. <laughs> <laughs> Started with LI. I saw the LIU and thought Liberty, but yeah, thank you. It's Long Island. Liberty University. International University, maybe forthcoming. Yeah, I'm thank you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I saw the, you know, I did see the amazing throw that that guy had, the underhand, like, grandma level, like, free throw attempt on the pass, which is absolutely amazing. But, um, yeah, it's been a good week. Um, and I'm I'm excited for this Texas game. I think it's... I think Baylor has a better chance in this game than I think its fans are giving it, giving her credit for. And it's going to be, it's the next like 10 days are going to be fascinating. Like they're just going to be fascinating. I'm really excited for this. What, we'll dive into that. Like what, what do you mean by uh, uh, 10 days well, and all that kind of stuff? So I guess we should probably, yeah, let's just talk the larger stuff first. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really 50-50 on what I think of Miranda. Like, I know that the fan base, you can feel the energy of the fan base kind of being sucked out a little bit right now. Like, I, I, at least I feel that when I go on message boards. I feel that in my chat room. Um, I feel that in text messages I get. Like, I feel the frustration. And there are, like, there's two different... The, the thing, so I'm, I'm going to back up and go ultra, ultra nerdy for here, y'all, real quick. So there's, I'm going to, for before I say anything, I'm going to tell y'all a very quick story about uh, a guy named William Hurst, um, who was a British civil servant in the late 1940s. And Mr. Hurst went down to Egypt because he was tasked with trying to figure out why these hundred year floods were happening, like every like eight to 10 years and were blowing up dams and all this kind of stuff. The, the flooding was blowing up dams. It was a major issue. And what Mr. Hurst realized after a lot of research is that it's not actually true that rain events are independent on days right next to each other. If it rains, I'm going to make up a date. If it rains on April 20th, it rains on 420, there's a slightly higher chance that it's going to rain on 419 or 421 if you know it's going to rain on 420. It's not a completely independent event that it's going to rain a set amount on 419 and on 420 and on 421, that these little clusters of events tend to come together. It's actually named, the stat, the statistical uh, discovery was actually named after him. It's called the Hearst exponent. And this, this really dumb 
story that I'm telling you is very, very relevant in that it's a great way of thinking about the fact that independent events are lightly connected, but not totally connected, if that makes sense. And what I mean where I'm going with that is I think in football games, when it comes to football, because football games are such independent events, they are very lightly connected through injuries, but they're not connected in a way. I, I believe that fans look for narratives to connect losses or to connect wins in ways that are not really there. And so what I am trying to figure out is because there's and so when I get through all of that, there's really two different narratives that you could spin on the last seven games. The first one is you've got this head coach that it's all falling apart. He can't, I mean, everyone, I say everyone, I think most Baylor fans have something pretty similar, which is they don't think he can motivate the team. They see the team not trying. They see the team quitting. They don't know where all this is going. You know, you lose to Texas State, um, you know, lose the game in the second half against Utah, then don't put up as many points as people think they need to against Liberty. Um, Long Island, I know, um, <laughs> against Long Island. And so you see, like, that's one story of, like, he's lost the leaders. He can't, you know, he doesn't have the team. He doesn't have any of this. And it's just he can't motivate these guys, and it's falling apart. There's also another narrative there, though, which is last season doesn't matter anymore, and that they started, I believe, 17 new people on the 2 deep, which is a very, very high number um, against – Texas State, then they were an injured, then against Utah, they were an injury to their backup quarterback away from beating a top 15 team. Um, <laughs> okay, keep going. And <laughs> I know you're laughing, but I'm saying like these are both like these are I know, different. I know. I like literally just a quick insert like Utah playing Bryson Barnes for most of the game is not a top 15 team. Like I understand at the end of the year that's what it'll be, but like I like Utah was a very good team, but anyway, just, I just yeah. I have to get and, there. But like that, and then you go in like, and then against Long Island, like I, I'll be honest, like I don't, I don't get the furor over the Long Island game from what I watched. Like they clearly went into that with this. So I'll tell a quick story. In 2019 against Rice, Rule went out there and they ran the second half of that game. They ran into ten man fronts and basically punted almost on the game because Rule wanted those guys to have a tough game just to see just to be able to build their medal for later in the season. He talked about that openly. Like, they practically threw the game because he wanted it to be close in the fourth quarter. And so if you if you didn't know that, you would have looked at 2019 Baylor versus Rice and gone like, this team is terrible. And, of course, they ended up in the Big 12 championship game. When I look at what they did against um, Long Island, like, they were clearly working on, like, two specific parts of the offense and the defense and they like there was no attempt to there was no attempt to game plan for that team in the way that they were attempting to game plan against someone else like that was a practice session for them i mean it just was you could see it in the calls you could see it in the way they were you could see it in the calls you could see it in the way that they were rotating guys and so like it's hard like i can't get worked up about long island and so you come into this texas game and baylor matches up they don't match up great with them because Texas is that good, but Baylor matches up better than them than, that, than I thought they would have a month ago, to be honest. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that to me that this, like 
this is a Baylor win. Like I had before, you know, this is, we're talking narratives right now, but there's a world to me where I think it's like one third chance of a close Baylor win, one third chance a Texas win that's like seven to 10 points that get stretched to that range in the fourth quarter, and a one third chance it's a Texas blowout because there's a bunch of turnovers. Um, but like, I don't, I don't see a doom and gloom going into this into this game that I think the fan base feels. And I like I don't think I don't most fan, fans feel doom and gloom. I'm just kind of, you know, there's sorry, I, I there's a million things uh, I could respond to in that, Jeff. And it's, no, do you that, have any like, I just I talked for a minute, so you go like No, 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 but do you, do you do you have a finishing uh, thought to that or are you pretty much done? Okay. Yeah, so that's, you said like, that actually is the finish which is you said like why are you so interested in the next 10 games like between the Texas game at home and UCF on the road, we're going to see which one of those is more likely true, like in the next 10 days. Like it, I feel like we have been wait, like since, since Kansas state last year, I've been waiting for, I've been waiting for a signal that tells me which way the program is going. And I really feel like I'm going to get it in the next 10, like in the next 10 days. In sure. a, in a big okay. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of different paths I can go off here at, I guess real, real quickly, I'll, uh, just a quick rebuttal on the Long Island thing, real quick. I, I understand what you're saying about the 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 um, you know not game planning for an opponent, kind of just you know, working on stuff. I think there definitely was some of that there. I think my you know my <laughs> where I disagree with you is just on the fact that you know in 2021 and 2022 Baylor did the exact same thing. They didn't game plan for Texas State in 2022. They didn't. Um, and in 2021, they played like Texas Southern or something, or, or I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not thinking of Texas state. I'm thinking of the other FCS opponent from last year, Albany, Albany, sorry. They didn't game plan for Albany last year. They didn't game plan for Texas Southern in 2021. And they just like absolutely destroyed them with base stuff. Like, um, the statistic I used on the site was in 2021 and 2022, their FCS opponents, Baylor held them to like a 25% offensive success rate, which is just you know abysmal and that's exactly what you want to see from a good defense going against an fcs opponent against long island uh you know i was listening to the bearcast yesterday and grayson talked about how they ran for like 150 yards despite the fact that they had like 30 yards passing which is like so they could only run the ball and baylor still gave up over five yards a rush um and they were still having some basic kind of problems defending basic runs um the success rate statistic again baylor gave up a 37 percent success rate to long island which if you actually go back to the 2020 season baylor held the majority of the big 12 opponents they faced under 37 percent. so it was like you know in 2020 baylor was playing better defense against big 12 opponents than they were uh, against long island last week and in 2021 obviously it was much of the same so i know that's kind of bogging down with statistics there but um this Again, it's difficult to not want to just branch down every path here. But one of my big things so far is uh, I think football is this great game, Jeff, because I think we're already you and I are already kind of hitting the two main aspects here. It, football is a game of of overarching narratives of a total cohesive team narrative in the sense of um, you know pushing everything forward all at once. But obviously, it's 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 a game decided by individual players at the at the end of the day. And so I think you know what what you're talking about is wanting to see kind of the overall team push forward as, as an overall unit but i still think they're struggling a lot in a lot of really key areas and in individual spots and so I, that's what i'm kind of curious to see is 
I think they're. this is a team that's very clearly going to be really strong in a couple of areas, but also going to be really weak in a couple of areas. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that um, you know, melds together and in which games it causes them problems versus which ones it doesn't. You know, I know we'll dive into this in the Texas game, but um, I, I think you're right in some sense that Baylor actually matches up with them decently well. Um, I think especially schematically, uh, Grimes' offense works pretty well against their defense, all this kind of stuff. So uh, kind of uh, difficult for me to choose which pass to go down here next. I know I've already said that like five or six times, but there's a, there's a lot to discuss. And I think it's because um as you and i briefly discussed before the pod you know this is uh a lot has happened in three games um and so we're kind of juggling discussing the overarching themes of the program around as a head coach all that kind of stuff with the texas game upcoming so um i know you were able to review the long island game and you weren't watching it live but um maybe kind of just give a sense of you know you were touching on this but just kind of your sense of where this team is at at this stage of the season they're a lot better than they were against Texas State. Um, that, that's the first thing that jumped off the page. Like the, the offensive line was abysmal against Texas State, and yeah. the offensive line is no longer abysmal. Now, did they? Yeah, they're they good. Have, yeah, they're good. They're good. good. Yeah, they're good. Yeah, I mean, it, it only took them two games to get into good into good mode. Um, I, I would, whether or not that's going to be able to translate against Texas, I don't know. But the, you know, I, I made a snarky tweet after I think the Texas State game about how the vibes. The vibes coming, the vibes that I'd heard in camp about the offensive line did not match. It was like one of the biggest deltas I'd ever seen. Like I'd heard that they were like really, really excited about the potential of the offensive line, and it was just nowhere to be seen against Texas State. Well, against Utah and against against um, and against Liberty, I'm going to call them Liberty for the rest of the pod. Um, <laughs> but against Utah and against Liberty, like you see that now, and the. Um, Offensive line is, is a real, I mean, it's a real point of strength. Like, they are going to, it's a, I, I, it, I'm super bummed that Dom is out of this game. Like, I really wish that cat was here. I yeah. just, that, that would be such a different dynamic because, you know, Reese, Reese actually to me has almost seemed like he has regressed a little bit. I don't know if he is pushing too hard, but there were some, you showed some clips of him against uh, in the last game, and I saw some stuff against Utah as well. Like he seems like he's really overrunning right now. He's pressing yeah. too hard, trying to hit the big play. Like he's not, he's not quite there. You know, there was also a play against Utah where um, he had a safety one on one in the open field, and if he could make the safety miss, I mean, it was like an eighty or eighty five yard score he had. I mean, it was just it was there, and I mean, he got this guy ate him up like it was a varsity kid making a tackle on a JV opponent. And I don't know if he is banged up at all. Um, that certainly could be possible. I don't know if he's just, you know, worn out. Like, I really don't know what, what his, what's going on with him, but he doesn't seem to have, um, he doesn't seem to have the patience that he had last year. And he doesn't, well, he's a, he, Reese is a vision. He's a vision oriented back. And so he's, yeah. he's not a guy who can lean into you and he's not really a great make you miss guy either. So he's yeah. a guy when the offensive line, you know, he has to hit the right hole every time. And when he does, he does it great. But if he's not in that flow, um, I think that's where he struggled so far is maybe pressing a little bit, trying to, you know, I don't want to say like impart this kind of things on players, but I mean, every player is trying to impress their coaching staff. And so when you're in a battle for, for handoffs, you know, then I think that's probably part of it. Um, 
let's say okay, I, I, <laughs> I want to get into the running game against Texas, but let's save that for when we actually dive into the Texas game. I know you have a few more things you want to get into before we fully dive into into that game. So, um, yeah, so but one other thing I want to say on that in terms of what's what's impressed me on that. The other thing I do want to point out, um, cornerback play is miles better than yes. I, I thought. Like, and that's I it's the thing that gives me the biggest uplift as we get into the Texas game later. But as we get into that, like that, this is the first time that I think that they have had corners that can press and do the press stuff that they want to do. And I, they've been really, really good. I mean, there's no way to put it. Yeah, like the corners, it, I think it's the best pair of corner play Baylor's had. I would say going back to when Howard was here, uh, I guess that would have been 2015. Um, yeah. Like I just, he was so good that it allowed them to do stuff on the other side. But it's, it's. I mean, it's great cornerback play. It really is, and to have it from, you know, for have it to those guys. Some of them are so are so young. It's it's really like it's just really surprising to me. I I did not expect that level of play this early. Corner is a position a lot like, um, a lot like wide receiver, where there's a lot more there's a lot more underlying technique than than I think the average fan understands. And so it's you just can't you can't come out and just like rely on your athletic ability if you're going to play press like it's there's so much technique involved involved with it, um, and to see those guys come out and do that this early is really promising. Okay, so the other stuff that I wanted to say just really briefly, um, I you know I have a soft spot for Aranda, and you know I've talked a little bit about this on. Um, prior, you know, I mentioned to y'all that I got diagnosed with ADHD um, about a year ago. And that's, you know, this is not, this is not supposed to be a big, like, hug it out. Let's, let's announce all our personal problems and, you know, talk about all of our, <laughs> all, you know, all of our stuff. But I mean, this is a football podcast, but I, I have a soft spot for Aranda because I don't, I, I'll go ahead and tell y'all this. Like I was also, I got a, along with my ADHD diagnosis, I got a, um, diagnosis for autism which was also a little bit surprising for me um at the at the moment when i got it and i when i when i see a random i don't it's it's highly inappropriate for me to put anything on that for him okay and i'm, I'm not doing that but one of the reasons that i am such an aranda fan and why i like him so much is when i see that man like i see in him some of I see a bit of myself in him is the best way to phrase that. Um, and I like, I have heard, I've heard people talk about him being awkward sometimes. Well, I, I'm 40 years old and I, I could sit here and literally talk for three straight days about all the times I think I've been awkward socially in my life. <laughs> um, and that, like, because I see that in him and because I see his intelligence, I am willing to give him probably a benefit of a doubt maybe a step beyond what may or may not be appropriate. I really don't know, but and I'll give you all a really good example of, of this. Like I, the, of, of me, of me having this kind of issue and like wishing I didn't have it, but it also kind of coming out, which would be after the Utah game, like I got really mad on Twitter and you know, it's 6,000 degrees at the game and I was super hot and walking away. You got mad texting me. I got mad texting you. And like <laughs> I, and I was, I was so mad at Jeff Grimes. I was so mad at Jeff Grimes after at, at that. Like I tweeted out a bunch of stuff. I was real mad about it. And then like on the drive home from the game, sitting in the AC, and then I see the news roll in that Sawyer Robinson had um Robinson, sorry, had um had rolled his ankle. 
Well, of course, like Grimes is a professional. He's not a moron. Um, and all the stuff that I had tweeted out in my anger was all wrong because I didn't have access to the information. My ADHD had done something that's like called skip thinking where I had jumped ahead and made an assumption, particularly in my emotion. I couldn't control my emotion at that point because I was so mad. They, I really wanted them to win that game and they couldn't win it. And I had jumped ahead and basically made a mistake and assumed something that was not accurate, which was that Jeff Grimes is an idiot because of course he's not, but I had done that and because I wasn't in possession of the facts. And I regret that, and I wish I hadn't put that on Twitter, and I deleted a couple of the tweets because I was wrong. But that level, like, part of having what I have is that you are not always aware of being able to control where your thought goes. And what I admire in Dave Aranda is that he seems able to do that and to be able to maintain his executive functioning at a way that I am very envious of. Now, what that means for him in the building, does that mean he is a, does that mean he is suitable for the job long term? I have no idea. Um, I do think he needs to do a, he has to fundamentally do a better job of marketing his program. Like that is college football fans don't really like, they care about wins, but like if you want to just have wins, go to the pros. A fundamental part of the college game is you have to pat every you have to pat every single person that attends the school and and attended the school on the head and like tell them what an amazing school that they work at that they went to is like that's just part of the deal. Every college football fan needs to believe that their school. Jeff, is I just great. want to I just want to quickly jump in. Um, yeah. I, I I know you have more to say, just but I think this is a really important point because like even even the pros is not just about winning. I mean, there's a reason that NFL Sunday ticket they can charge like seven hundred dollars, and it's because people want to watch their hometown team that they grew up rooting for. It's that. It's that you know it's fandom, um, and fandom encapsulates a lot of these kind of intangible feelings that are necessary to be patted upon the head you know the Raiders fans even though now they're in a different city probably still want to you know uh, honor the legacy of basically of what they've been for the past 50 years and so I think a lot of that is tied up with with college fandom too like now that we're in the quote-unquote attention economy where you know like I you know at nighttime or to watch a movie, it used to be you would just turn on the TV and watch one of the, you know, one of the basic channels or whatever. Now it's like you can watch a YouTube video. People will probably be sitting there watching TikTok at night. Um, on Saturdays, you know, a lot of times that's really people's only open day of the week to do whatever they want. And and so it's a huge ask for people to drive hours to come to a game. Um, and I think, I think something that Baylor football needs to work on both the random marketing, the program, the athletic department as a whole is just uh, garnering this uh, atmosphere of not just um, kind of expecting fans to show up, but like, you know, really creating it as an event. And, and I don't, and, and I think that means different things to other, to, to, that means different things to different people. I don't mean it needs to be like a concert or anything like that, but like respecting the idea that going to a game these days is a monumental task, especially for Baylor fans that disproportionately have families and are driving from far away and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of quickly point that out. Like, I do think this ties back to what you're talking about at the very beginning in the sense of, 
the the somewhat feeling of listlessness and kind of frustration. I think a lot of it isn't necessarily only the product on the field, but just like they want to feel like they're a part of something energetic and exciting. And I think that kind of gets towards what you're talking about of maybe Aranda perhaps needing to step out of the moment to moment and and recognize like what he needs to be selling as a vision of the future. Sorry, that wasn't just a quick interjection. I'm sorry. No, it was a great I, you fleshed out that point beautifully thank you and i that but it's it's something that he doesn't do well enough. and i i get his desire like i think i see his zig where everyone else is zagging which is to really focus on and it makes sense to me in that in this in the transfer in the transfer world if we can go after guys that have for P5, decent athletic profiles, but are highly coachable, are self-motivated, and that you can put a lot on. Um, and you could build out a very advanced team from a technique and from what you can actually play on the field. Like, you can, you know, if you have a team that can do a lot of really advanced stuff, then that makes up, that makes up for a lack of higher-end potential NFL athletic skills in, in a couple of cases. Um as a whole unit but i don't know i don't know that that and this is also the first year that he is like this is the first year he's gone all in on that from an organizational standpoint from stuff that is not appropriate to share on the air like we know this is the first time that he has gone all in all in on 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 person over player in a big way and that's whether or not that pays off um, I wish I wish he had done it earlier. To be frank, like I wish he had done it after the twenty one season when he had, like he just came off the Sugar Bowl. If he had gone for it right then, he could have had the one year where he's rebuilding out a bunch of stuff. It would have been a lot easier to suffer through this. But you know, to that point, like I, I root for the guy. I think in a disproportionate way because because of that. Like I I admire parts of him. And I know that that seems really weird to say in a football coach, but particularly, you know, I, everyone says they admire their football coach. But like, I, I literally just got a book of I got a book of Christian poems yesterday that I've been reading through. Like, I'm I'm a little bit of a different guy that's usually on a football podcast, and that like I admire I admire who he is from a character standpoint, and I root for him probably a bit more than I should have because I want to see I want to see him succeed, and I want to see a personality like mine succeed because I love football and I also know that I would be as much as I love it I would probably be a terrible head coach for all the reasons I was talking about four or five minutes ago but I want him to be able to succeed to do that um the other thing that I want to point out with them right now is or 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 with him is I think that there's a chance I forwarded this to you earlier I think there might be a chance um that fans have to learn to adjust and just believe what Aranda says. And uh, I want to want to point this out because we talked about this. We you and I were texting about this a lot over the last couple of days. If you were a fan and have not heard um, his interview with um, Smoke on, I guess that would be Monday nine eighteen. Today's the twentieth. I think yes, that was, yeah, it was on Monday ago. afternoon. Monday afternoon. Uh, do yourself a favor and go and listen to it. Um, it is. It's the best interview I've ever heard Aranda give. Um, I can tell you all that I I have heard I've heard that there's there's been a narrative that started to be pushed by the athletic department around lack of talent on the team, um, and that's that's bubbled out in a few places. I mean, it bubbled out in the interview with Smoke. That's that's kind of come out on um, some message boards. It's come out in some texts I've gotten. 
Um, and to be honest, it was just something that I kind of thought when I was looking, when I was driving home from the Utah game, I texted you and that like, once my anger died down a little bit, I think I said, I think my biggest issue is that I think it's a talent issue first and foremost. Um, and when Dave got at coach Arana got asked about that on Monday, he was pretty, I mean, he pushed back really hard against it. And <clears throat> what I heard on Monday was I heard him, I heard him start to talk like a, I can't emphasize this enough to do the job of a head coach at a P5 school. Well, it really is like being the CEO of an organization with 150 to 200 members that is worth a hundred, that has a valuation of a hundred million dollars. Like that's the scale of the job. <clears throat> that's the real scale of the job. Um, it's a hundred million dollar valuation and it's 150 to 200 employees and it's 60 to 80 hours a week in season work. Like that's the level of the job. And there's an expectation from a leadership and a management standpoint for that position that I don't think, like, I, actually, I don't think, I know that Dave didn't have in 2020 and to be honest, 2021, um, that I see, like, I heard him talk and I heard him really put himself out there and say, like, no, this is correct. Like, no, we have a championship roster. No, our defense was a lot better. Like, I know what's going on in the building. You'll heard me use that phrase a lot in the building, but that's Aranda saying, I know what's going on in the building. I know more than y'all. This is going to work. And I heard that phrase, and I, I really loved it because it, it means it means really one of two things for Baylor fans. It's either he's correct, and, I mean, he obviously does know more about football than virtually anybody listening to this podcast. But either he's correct, and it means that if they do, you know, get to seven, eight wins this year, um, that they do have a championship roster and they got bit by injuries and it cost them, you know, the Utah game. Um, and if it means if he doesn't, then it means that he isn't good enough for the job. But the ability to like the willingness to put yourself out there as a leader and say, like, no, I am right. This is how the ship is going to go. This is how this is going to work. This is how the organization is going to be run. And to really, to be frank, like kind of put yourself out there like the athletic department is giving him political cover by pushing the narrative about talent and dave's like yeah this i'm not having any of this stuff my kids are good enough like, well and to be clear like, like people because oh, people were like well what else was he going to say that he saw that the team is terrible it's like no 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 there's there's <laughs> there's yeah, options in between you can be like well you know, like I see a lot of potential, but right now we have a lot of things to clean up and I think we could get there, but they're not, you know, that is like what 95% of coaches yep. would probably be saying in this situation. They wouldn't be saying, uh, no, we just lost Texas state and we lost to a walk on quarterback against Utah, but we have a championship roster for sure. Like that's, that's putting it out there as you're saying. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, it's just putting it out there. And so like if they, if they, the one of the, re the reason that's so good is like if they do rebound to six, seven, or eight wins this season, then like my concerns about some of the eva evaluation stuff that I have seen, like that means I'm wrong. <laughs> it just flat out means I'm wrong. And that like I like being, I, I like that he is growing comfortable in terms of organizational leadership in that way. It's something that I haven't seen him be comfortable with yet. Um, it and I that to me was just promising because it means it makes it very easy for if any decision has to be made at the end of the year. And I, I will I will emphasize this to Baylor fans. I would be flabbergasted if there was a decision made before the end of the year. Like if that 
I don't think that's going to happen regardless. Like, I would be shocked if that's going to happen. But I think there's one uh, path to that, and that includes losing the next three games and them being really bad. I think that's probably that I don't know anything about the internal machinations of how that would work or anything like that. But I'm just saying, yeah. like, that they would have to, like, I think be really, really bad in the next three games. And then I think yeah. that's probably it. But I don't know. I, just, I don't think that's going to happen. I, one thing I do see with Aranda that I think we have, are very comfortable with now is the team seems very self-motivated going back to that independent games like they're not they're not they're they're slightly linked but they're not totally they're not totally dependent they're not totally linked um they're gonna play like I, I, they're not gonna get blown out this is a good transition point they're not gonna get blown out against i, I really don't think no, that. Like, i don't think when, so either when, when you look at the like when you look at the possession count a thing that baylor fans need to get used to is it, like if they have a game where they lose by 30 like someone is gonna have to get shot on the field like i and I mean that going against. I'm not making stuff. I mean that practically going against Georgia. Like the way they do the ball possession control offense, if they can get any sort of run game going at all, it's almost impossible to see them losing by more than like three possessions. And I know that that's that's I know that's 17 points, but you know against Liberty, I mean they had, I mean they had like six or seven. They had eight. They had eight real possessions throughout the game. Eight real possessions. I mean that is insane. I mean that is that is 1955 triple option like grind it out in two hours and, and ten minutes. Let's get out of here. No commercials. Like that's that level. I mean, it's like as fast as a, as a new baseball game. I mean it's that that and to, like to flip that around. Like they had. I think the the TCU Baylor game in 2014 off the top of my head. It's like 350 had, or something. Yeah. Oh yeah. The yeah. possession counts. I think it was uh, four. Uh, 15 or 16 it was somewhere in there i think it was 16 16 possessions i mean it's like almost three times the number of possessions in that game and so instead of 61 58 if you cut that literally by a third you know or almost a third it's in the mid-20s and so it's the same offensive output it's just way fewer possessions and so the score's like drastically reduced and that adjusting to that i think is is really it just really is important because it, it affects it affects your judgment on when you want to when you want to go for stuff or when you want to press because if the game is going to be close into the fourth quarter in almost every game you play because of the total number of possessions, then it, it also affects like when you're going to make calls and when you really want to press for stuff or when you really want to go for stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think they're going to get blown out. I would be very surprised if they get blown out. Um, and I, the, the very first thing I'll say, a transition. Anything else you want to say, or do you want to transition to Texas? No, I think we can kind of tie in. I, I yeah, which I you want? I want to start on Baylor, uh, Baylor's defense, if if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah I, you know, <laughs> I think they might be really bad. Um, I'm kind of afraid of that. Um, I think, as you mentioned, the corner play has been really good. Um, I think the safety play on the back, like the the deep safeties, have been pretty solid. Have been pretty good, um, but they haven't really been super tested i think everything outside of those back four has been really bad this year and um i'm pretty concerned about that going into this game um it, on a matchup level though it's nice that baylor should feel relatively good about you know any of their corners kind of matched up on any of texas's receivers which i think was kind of uh, or not kind of, it was obviously a huge uh, concern coming into this season. Uh, Texas has probably three NFL receivers on the roster, um, yep. you know, two or two, maybe three. And so that's a huge deal. And so I think really the game, yeah, but again, it's the back four that's been playing well, but everyone in front of them, including the star, 
Um, the line inside backers and the defensive line have just not been good enough. The defensive line has been, um, you know, I think there's been one or two guys who have been really solid. Um, but I can, I think Jeff, uh, you know, what we've continued to see is just that, um, it's really, really hard to generate consistent pressure in college without blitzing. And, um, Baylor's pressure packages has just not been working well early this year and they're not fitting the run well enough early, uh, early on this year, um, defending the run and, uh, the star play has been abysmal and, and defense is, um, defense is a game of weak links. You would rather, you know, that's how is Iowa top 10 defense every year? Um, okay. Uh, it's because, you know, uh, <laughs> they may you, you know, they usually have one or two NFL guys often kind of on the defensive line or maybe a linebacker or something like that but their defensive backs are usually nothing special and but it's because they don't have anybody bad on the field they've recruited their system they know what they're doing um, and they never have anybody bad I think part of the problem for Baylor right now is they have a couple of players who are just really easy to pick on um, yeah. and this is a <laughs> a sort of counter to the positive message that Aranda was speaking in his interview with Smokey. Cause I was kind of on board. I was like, yeah, wow, this is, he's sounding, he's sounding confident, you know, maybe he's really got a grasp on things. And, and, and then he's like, uh, Smokey asked him a question about star play and Aranda just starts talking about how Corey Gordon is like, you know, the bee's knees. And I'm like, dude, he's been terrible this year, you know? And so, um, you know, I don't, and I don't mean that to single out a guy, but, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a matter of fact that that, that matchup uh, is going to be really highlighted this upcoming game. So anyway, um, I think what I'm really concerned about uh, in this game is I think they're going to play with energy. I'm sure the defensive front will play better, all that kind of stuff. Um, but Sark, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, Texas's de facto offensive coordinator, um, he is a guy that uh, <laughs> you don't want to have any weak links because he will design every play and formation to just relentlessly attack. Like he's not, you're not going to be able to hide anybody. Um, and so I'm pretty concerned about that. I, um, I think this is a game we'll, we'll talk about this on the offensive side of the ball. Baylor needs to keep this game at nine or 10 possessions, I think, because that's the point where I think you can feasibly, um, you know, reliably or not reliably, but if you can get Quinn Ewers or the uh, Texas offense to have two or three brain farts and, and have a couple of big, you know, interceptions or fumbles or something like that. And that way Texas really only has four five, six legit drives. Baylor has a chance, but I think if you give Texas's offense 10, 11, 12, 13 real drives, uh, I, I don't think Baylor has the coherent talent right now to hang up uh, from punch after punch. And so I think they've really got to try and shorten, shorten the game. And Jeff, what I'd love for you to talk about, obviously, you know, talk about this whole side of the ball, but Ron Roberts really understood how to defend Steve Sarkeesian. And it was, he knew that, you know, Ewers was not very comfortable against pressure. And so when, when Ron has faced Texas the last two years, it's just been Blitz, 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 blitz. Get in the backfield, get in the backfield. Just, you know, kind of expose the back end. I don't foresee them doing that this game, and it'll, but it'll be interesting to see whether Pallage goes that route because they've been pretty conservative thus far this year. Yeah, so one the one point I will uh, I do disagree with you on slightly on the analysis, I think is the defensive line. Um, I They were... I, I think they were asleep during the Texas State game, like just flat out. I mean, at the, <laughs> I think they were just asleep and not in a good way. Um, and, uh, you know, I have, I, I've told you, I've talked a lot about not wanting to single out college kids, but I will say this on Gabe Hall. Like, Gabe Hall came back 
because he has an he has an NFL body without an NFL motor, and he he plays too high and he doesn't play hard, like he does not play hard enough snap to snap in those games against Texas State and against Liberty. Uh, that but against Utah, he dominated, and that's it's a bad like. It's going to keep him if there's if he get, if he doesn't get invited to the Senior Bowl, it's going to be because of his tape against Texas State and Texas Southern, not because of his tape against Utah and I think against Texas. Um, the defensive line was significantly better, and in fact, they played better than I think they had any right to, considering it was 150 degrees on the turf against Utah. Um, they played like I don't worry about the defensive line in this game. Those three, like it's the, I. It's the backers and the star, I think. It's the backers and the star, yeah. So, like, I, they're not, I don't think they're going to get, this is not going to be a game where Baylor's defensive front's just going to get pushed off the ball, like, costly. That's not going to happen. Well, I want to be clear, Jeff, just to, really seriously, really quickly here. Like, when I say the defensive line is kind of disappointed, I don't, I don't mean that they're, I don't, they're, they're not bad. It's just that I think they have, (laughs) <laughs> I think they have more they sh- they have more potential than they've shown um and I think Baylor need when you have bad inside linebacker play which I think uh, bad is probably too strong of a word but when it's been pretty subpar mediocre you've really yeah. got to lean on those guys up front um and so I think this is a game where again you need more of that Utah style and they need better than Utah honestly because Utah honestly their offensive line despite them having that kind of ground and pound reputation Utah offensive line was wasn't very good Texas is very good. Um, it's a game where, look, this is why I love high-level football because high-level football is when things kind of transition more from weak links and scheme into more just dudes in the sense of yeah. you've got yeah. to just have somebody step up and just make a crazy rush on third and five and just win. And so anyways, that that's what Baylor needs in this game. They can't get by with just solid play up front. I think they're going to need somebody like a Byron Vons or a Garmin Randolph or a Gabe Hall to just kind of go off. Yeah, Randolph, Randolph needs to be fully healthy and he needs to be all the way there. I know he's been banged up from summer camp. Um, yeah, and so, but you stated on the linebacker play, like, it's, this really is a, this, whether or not Baylor, there's two keys to this game for me. The first one on the defensive side of the ball really is, can Baylor's linebackers take a step up in how they've been fitting the run? Yeah, um, because Texas they, uses so many offensive run schemes. And so you, yeah. Baylor is all wide zone, right, guys? I mean, you know, not yeah. exclusively, but, it, you know, you yeah. basically know what you're getting. Yeah. Texas runs... Texas runs everything, and so the inside backers, they have to know what to do against a puller. They have to know what to do against inside zone. They have to know what to do against outside zone on the screen plays. Like, it's, it's a huge – yeah. yeah, sorry. I know you're good. The It's all there. And if they like, – they just have to do a better job fitting the run. And if they – that this, this is a thing where if it was late October, I would feel much more confident in their abilities to be able to handle it. Um I'm very like it. This just seems this seems like a game where there's going to be. I'm going to say probably a half dozen runs. That seems about right. Where there's going to be you know three runs a half where there's a misfit, and because because Texas has the um, skill talent that they do, what might be a 12 to 15 yard run is going to be like a 30 to 40 yard run or a touchdown. And that's like, that's going to happen. That's going to happen 
you know, if we like if we're lucky, those all happen like on the same drive, and so you only get the you only you know mm-hmm. it's only like in the in yeah. it gets contained to one point uh, one drive for seven points. That's that's the biggest concern for me. What I what I think what I think is going to happen defensively. Like I don't, I'm very curious whether or not they spin down a safety and just go basically do a, cover, a version of their cover one. Aranda calls it one rat. But they played in a lot of quarters with two highs so far this season. They have been conservative. They have the cornerback. They really do. Like, they have the cornerback play to get to, to run one rat on on standard downs and load up against the run. I think that I, has to be the plan, not only in the Texas game, but mostly, I think, going into the remainder of the year. Yeah. And if they do that and they can force them away from that RPO and they can and they're able to fit you know, 90 to 95% of the runs correctly, then I think you're seeing it. I think you have a game where you do that, you get like one turnover and like one, one lucky negative play where there's a snap over yours head or yours misses a read and fires the ball out of bounds. Like if you can get, like you were saying, if you can get two to three possessions that they don't execute well enough to get points and you can fit the run, then you're looking at probably three to four possessions where you're going to have, an, sorry, four to five possessions where you have an expectation of points. Mm-hmm. And so if you're at four to five figure, that's probably in the mid to upper 20s for total offensive output. Um, they will have, like, they will have at least, like, there's going to be those broken runs. There will also be, there's guaranteed to be at least two passes where one of their absolutely outrageously talented skill position players just goes nuts like he runs you know he just runs right past the cornerback or he runs right past the safety and it's just a simple it's a simple post where he's open by 10 yards and it's a touchdown like that's going to happen um keeping those explosive plays down through fitting the run like i don't know how aranda gambles on that or how college gambles like do you do you cap all of your do you you know what i mean cap sorry a safety caps a uh, safety has the potential to cap a specific route like do you just cap whoever is in the slot the entire game, in which case, if you do that, then you can't run any one round and you're putting more stress on your linebackers. Right. Um, like, when do you gamble for that? When do you not? Like, that to me is the big trade off for them is when do they, is if they do that, they're risking, they're risking the run plays, but they're keeping, they're, they're tamping down on those, which is what happened against Texas. Like, they gave up the, a lot of the big explosive plays on, um, on inside receivers, basically getting mashed up against their against safety. against Texas State, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, I was actually thinking of Alabama. Te- Texas, oh, I see. Of, yeah, I see. That's where Texas got a lot of their points. Yeah, on a lot of their explosive plays. Well, and that's like, and again, that's not so. Sark is like <laughs> he's almost a you know the Jeff Grimes offense. I always say is like kind of like the the polar one eighty of the Brawls offense, but but Sark's offense is almost kind of a 180 in a, in, in a different sense, in the sense that, you know, Browse kind of just lined up the same way every time. And it was very kind of formulaic. Uh, Sark is very, very different in the sense of it's so game plan based on insofar as pre-snap motion and formation to very specifically at this down and distance from this part of the field. He know he knows on, I guarantee you, he knows today what play he's going to go for on a, second and three from midfield like that that is kind of how he's thinking about this and and how he would be thinking is okay i'm going to use this formation to get this skill player matched up against this defender because baylor likes to run this defense on second and short in midfield like that's like that really is it's and so it's you have to be prepared for that in the sense of 
you've got to, it's the idea of counterpunching against the counterpunch. Like you've got to be thinking ahead. And that is where Aranda has been a lead in the past. And so I think this is ultimately a game for him to kind of be involved on the defense, not, not on the uh, uh, play calling aspect during the game, but like helping, helping Pallage kind of be thinking about that uh, going into the game. Yeah. I, I think if everything goes really well, the realistic output for for Texas is probably in the mid is like best case realistic best case scenario is probably twenty four to twenty seven. I agree. I think I, I think a I think an expectation for me honestly is probably like thirty one. Yeah, I think like I just if they if if Texas is is thirty one if Texas is under thirty two points I'm going to consider that like a great job by by the yeah. Team. Let's say there's there's nine or ten. Uh, let's say there's ten possessions in a game, which I think is probably a, a solid median for where this would be. You know, somewhere between nine, eleven, and twelve, probably. Um, you know, that's about three points per possession, which is uh, pretty good. But yeah, Texas is a really good offense. So, but yeah, I think you know Baylor. What they've been doing with their with their pass coverage a lot this year is obviously it's a lot of quarters and. Uh, in, in quarters, usually there's some sort of combo coverage between the safety and the star, okay? Um, we don't have really time to kind of ex- explain that more granularly, but basically what you should know is a lot of times the corners are more or less on an island on the outside. You know, they have safety help somewhat, but more or less, and if there's an inside receiver, the safety and that star player are kind of playing a combo coverage where depending on what that inside receiver does, they're going to cover him. The problem is that that even though they're playing 2v1, they've still been getting roasted. And so that's kind of where I'm at the point where it's like, what is the point of playing combo coverage on these inside receivers that are still going to roast you? Why not just put a third corner out there, have them play man coverage, and that way you can at least be more aggressive in the box? Because, again, Texas's offense is too – I think Texas's offense is too good to think that you're going to be able to just kind of reliably get stops. I think you've got to hope on getting um, huge defensive – you know, tackles for loss, sacks, interceptions. And so whether they think that's more likely through coverage sacks um, by really protecting the back end and then relying on the pass rushers up front versus being really aggressive up front, I think that's going to tell the story of the game. But I would be shocked if Baylor just rolls out there and just kind of does their standard quarters, has Bryson Jackson out there at star covering. I would be shocked, but we'll see. They will have game plans specifically for this. Like, there's not, I don't have any question about that. Like, there's going to be something custom for this. Um, Aranda knows him too well. Like, it, they've had experience with him against, like, that just, they will not roll out there and just do what we've seen for the first three games. Like, there's going to be some different stuff. I think the majority, I think the majority of the different stuff is going to come on passing downs. I think they're going to start the game probably in quarters on standard downs for the first two possessions and just, just see, see what happens. Just, yeah, yeah, just see what happens. And if it's like up and down and they've given up 10 or 14 points, like they'll, they'll know real quick whether or not it's working and then they'll right. go from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it, we're, it, I think this game really does. I don't expect the inside linebackers to be great. I think you, you don't go from subpar yeah. to great in one week, but if they can be okay, and if the star can get not exposed mostly through schematic changes, I think that's where the Baylor has a solid chance to maybe you know twenty four to thirty one points. Um, but it, if they're just getting exposed every drive, that's where you know things obviously can get much worse. And so, um, want to flip to the other side of the ball now, Jeff? Yep. Because I think ultimately, like. 
ultimately the game's going to be decided by what Baylor can do on offense. Like, you know, that kind of sounds silly to say, like it's obviously decided on both sides of the ball. Right. Uh, but you know, I would be, I <laughs> barring Ewers just like throwing the ball at a Baylor defender, every other possession. Like, I don't think Baylor's going to keep them under 24 points. Um, and so for me, the point, it, the, 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 the deciding factor in this game is, well, do you think Baylor can get to 27? Do you think they can get to 30? Can they get to 34? Um, you know, that kind of range. Um, so what are your kind of initial initial thoughts on that, Jeff? I think they can get to 24. I don't think they can get to 30. Um, okay. Not with, not with, honestly. I, so my first thought, my first statement is based off what I've seen so far, I mean, it, granted it was early against Texas State, but I if Shapin was in this game, I think I would say that the Baylor has the better quarterback in this game. Oh yeah, based off what we saw yeah. against um, based off what we saw against Texas State. Uh, Texas State. The my assumption is that if there was ever a based off what, sorry, let me rewind. I'm going to be very curious how much they they go to the quarterback run game. They have been so far they they've been very hesitant to pull that card out. Like they ran they ran him they ran Sawyer. I mean they ran him against Utah, but they didn't like build the offense around it. I, I think I kind of disagree with you there. Like Utah really, really, really keyed on him. Like they always had that backside backer holding yeah. from them. So I think it would have been if. If, if they had played them like Shapin, he would have run the ball all the time. Yeah, but you that's, saw that's really, fair. really keyed on him. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, and that's also, by the way, when I when I talked about earlier when I said I was mad at um, when I said I was mad at um, Grimes, Grimes, it's because they were keen on him, and you're you're 100 correct. They were keen on him so so dramatically, and then they abandoned him in, in the in the third. He got hurt. Quarter. Yeah. There was all this like easy stuff in my head. I'm like, how does he not see this? Like, this is basic stuff. Well, they started ignoring the quarterback in the run game because he couldn't run, <laughs> and that's a pretty you know that's a real reason to abandon the quarterback uh, from a, as a defensive play caller. Um, if Sawyer's healthy and he's able to maintain that health, it allows them to do some stuff defensively that, or excuse me, offensively in the run game that I think that they they're going to be able to grind out, like can they consistently turn into a more or less Army? Like Army I, I'll never forget, like I was at the Army Oklahoma game, right? it's four or five years ago at this point, I can't remember exactly, but like on the very first yeah, possession, Army <laughs> Army went for it on fourth and one on their own, like 36 yard line, and yeah. they got it. That was the, it, against Kyler Murray, yeah. yeah. Yes, it was against Kyler Murray, and they just like they just ground it out the entire game. And they don't they're not gonna go like full blown, full on triple option. But can they, you know, does the run game involve like can they keep the run game going to where they can get three to five yards per play? What they really have to avoid in this game is they have to figure out how to get positive yards on first down. Like that's the biggest key offensively for the game. Because unlike shape with Shapen's arm the, um, with Shapin's arm, you can't. And we saw this against Texas State, and this would happen against Texas as well. You can't bring everybody down against Shapin because there's too much speed now on Baylor's outside. Like you can't put, you can't run eleven personnel and get three one-on-one matchups against these guys and not have somebody get open. Like against Utah, there were a bunch of plays where they had guys running free, like way down the field, and. I say a bunch, like I can remember four or five off the top of my head to yeah. give y'all some perspective. And either the protection didn't hold up or um, Sawyer didn't have the arm for that like 50 to 50 to 60 yard pass. 
and like they don't if it was because they because they don't have to worry about because they don't have to worry about that it really negates your cushion on passing downs because then your passing down game plan turns into a bit of the Charlie Brewer from 2020, which is, okay, like, we've got a smaller box. We have to fit in a very tight throw into a zone on third down. Like, those plays are hard to do if you don't have a lot of um, reps with a specific wide receiver. And so, I like, those plays are not going to be there. Like, it's going to be hard for them to convert a lot of third and sevens. Um, And so, they, like, they have to figure out how to consistently get – three to five yards on first down. If they can do that either through the run game or I would, honestly, I would be throwing a lot more on first downs. I think they have to in this game. Um, They have to, you know, ball, as the Art Brawl saying, ball goes where they ain't. Like, if they're going to load up against the run, like, they got to, they, I don't think they can come out and just run into that front unless they think, unless they think their offensive line is good enough that they can run into a plus one box and still get four yards, which I think, I think that's what they're going to try and do. Yeah, I just I I know, but look, I, and this is where the absence of Dominic Richardson really looms large, um, yeah. because you can get five yards on first down if you block for three, and then your running back can lean for another two. Yeah. Um, and this is why I think Dawson Pendergrass is probably going to lead Baylor and carries this game, uh, because against a front as good as Texas. Um, you're not going to block for six yards every play. That's just no. not that's not possible. And no. while Richard Reese is it has his own strengths, he's you know he was getting put on his back by Utah defenders. I mean, like when those guys hit him, he goes backwards. And so um, this is not a game where he's going to be able to lean in and get extra yards. So that'll yeah, I think you're right though, Jeff. I mean, this kind of goes for every game. But what the offense is trying to do on first down, uh, whether they start taking some shots. Um, you know, or whether they try and just grind it out. But I do think early on, um, Grimes always has an interesting kind of bag of tricks early in the game. But I do think, again, like kind of just like you said, on the opposite side of the ball, they're going to try and figure out how well their base works against Texas. I, I expect that early on, Mateos and Grimes are going to want to know the answer. Uh, what happens when we run into a nine-man box? <laughs> Is it zero yards? It, can we get five? Uh, that would be a huge win. So, but... Man, I wish they had Dominic Richardson because I think uh, this is going to – they want to grind it out. And the problem the problem with their backs right now is they're, it's either two true freshmen or a really tiny true sophomore. And so it's just – that, that puts, makes need, it tough. Yeah, 100%. The thing, your, your comment on the block for three, get five, like that's vital. There's going to be a bunch of plays in this game where they're going to be – it's first and ten, they run a run play, and it's second and eight. They need that back to make it second and seven or second and six. Like that is how they it's win. It's a the huge game. difference. It's a huge, huge difference in what you can do from a play calling perspective. I mean they they need to be able to get they need to be able to get to second and seven and need to be able to get to third and four. If they can do those things consistently, then that's key. The 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 big one I'll point to. I'll say this: the the more three and fours, third and four or less you see, the better Baylor's doing because the big key if you can get to third and four. And this third and five, it's like it's right there, but you can't do it at third and six, which is if you get to third and four with Baylor's offensive line, you cannot, like, you have to call a base defense because Aranda has proven he's going to go for it on fourth down, on fourth and one if it's close. And they have the offensive line and with the running quarterback, like, they can go for a lot of fourth and ones in this game. Um, And they will. But if they, like, if they, if they can get to third and four, then they have to, like the defense has to call a standard down package. And if they don't, 
you're going to run, you're going to pick up a first down. The offensive line is too good. Like, if, if they roll out there and roll out a pass defense on third and four against Baylor, like, it's just not going to work. You're going to have to leave one-on-ones. You'll be able to take shots on third and four. You can't do any of that stuff if it's, like, third and five plus. Right. Um, so that is that is one key. I am curious. The other part of this is Baylor has really – they have moved away from the rollout game in a big way, and, and teams are not defending that with, against Sawyer, really. I mean, they are a little bit, but they don't run it anywhere like they did against Shapen. Like, I, I don't I, think that's I don't think that's true. Why, why are you saying that? I don't. I just don't think that's true. I say that because I don't see them. I guess it's probably you. So you I have two games. Let, let me explain myself. Utah, right. Utah, they and defended. They yeah, they they did, okay. Utah took it away the entire okay. game. They had somebody yeah. sitting there. And then against Long Island, they did it like three times, and they could have done it like 30, but I think they just didn't see the point yeah. in repping it. Yeah. They just wanted to rep the run instead of having him roll out and throw for 10 yards every time. No, you're, you're, you're right, and I'm wrong. That's uh, you're you're right, and I'm wrong. Like I, I have I have recency bias around the Liberty game, um, <laughs> and I promise this the, this this is probably the last time I make that joke. Um, okay. I have recency bias against that game, and you're right, I'm wrong. Um, I, I I'm the 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 position I'm thinking of is associated with that. I am curious what they do. This seems like a game where I would want to try to get their tight ends matched. Like the yes. the biggest advantage Baylor has in this game is Baylor's tight ends are can dominate in this game if there's enough pass if there's enough pass protection and like can you get those linebackers matched up against what they're, they're really a mismatch against almost anybody on texas's defense i mean that seriously like, i don't like against the if, i want to i want to bring up something real quick right Jeff. Um, yeah. this game tight ends i think are the the focal point of this game uh you know yeah. there's a lot of you know Obviously, you know, can Keytron win down? Feel like, look, look, like at every position, there's they're a few questions. Two of those passes, they're going to throw one of those a, a half yeah. where it's like second and six, and they just throw a go route if he gets single covered and see what happens. Yeah. No doubt. But here's the thing because what Texas is doing defensively is, at least thus far this year, I'm not sure if they'll change it up against Baylor, but against 12 personnel. So when teams, when Bama put two tight ends out there, when Rice put two tight ends out there, all that kind of stuff, they removed their functional equivalent of the star player who for them is Jade Barron, who is probably one of their two or three best defenders and probably one of the five or six best defenders in the entire Big 12. They take him out and they put in this guy named Jet Bush, who's a former walk-on, kind of just try-hard, tough, you know, outside linebacker type. And so Baylor's strength right now is, Baylor's not a good 11 personnel team right now uh, with uh, Sawyer Robertson. They're not a good three wide team. You want to be in two tight end sets, which I know for fans can be a little bit boring, but for me, I, I like it. You know, I know you and I love it, Jeff. More exciting for me. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Put, put three tight ends out there. Why not? Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, so Baylor is playing to their strength when they're playing with more tight ends. And then you're also removing one of Texas's best defenders because Texas wants to play bigger. Um I, you know, it's very rare nowadays for call, uh, for teams to spend more than half of their time in two, three tight end sets, because even teams who play out of a ton of 12 personnel with two tight end sets, you know, um, they're, that's more like 30, 40% of the time. It would not shock me at all. Indeed, I probably expect Baylor to spend the majority of this game, game in two tight end sets because you're getting one of Texas's best defenders off the field. And that probably is the one area on offense where you feel like you have the advantage over them. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to give that context when discussing the tight ends. Yeah, I, a thing to look for is, are Keytron and uh, like 
look to the tight end if you, if you want to see a next level. If you're thinking, if you want to think a little bit next level in this game, look where Keytron is and look what the see who the tight end is is a, is on his side. Okay, mm-hmm. who is aligned to his side? That that tight end is going to be a focal point in the pass game because what that's going to mean is that 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 safety is only going to be able to cap one of those two guys. So who's the safety going to cap? Like, are you going to leave Keytron one-on-one for a shot downfield, or are you going to let the tight end go one-on-one against the linebacker, which almost all of Baylor's tight ends are going to win that matchup, I think. Um, and particularly if it's Dabney. Yeah, like, Dabney, Dabney is, is a real key this game. Yeah, and it just, like, those like those matchups are going to be there. And so, the like, look, like, look where Keytron's lined up. And then what for the tight end that's lined up? If you see Dabney on them on the same side and it's a passing down, like you can be pretty confident the ball's going to that side of the field. Okay, whether it's going to be a rollout or it's going to be a quick read, like whatever it's going to be, like that's where it's going to go. Um, I like I think that Baylor has a Baylor just has a lot of advantages in the tight end game. How can they exploit? Can can do they feel comfortable exploiting that over and over? Because if you had Shapen then honestly I would be throwing a lot in this game because I would be in twelve I, I would be in twelve personnel. I'd be throwing a lot on early downs because I think that they're going to like Texas is going to suck up and crash just like Utah did um defensively. And when you do that, you get one like you can't you can't cover everybody. Like it's just you can't cover everybody. So you probably are not going to see a lot of play action in this game because my assumption is that Texas is going to try to like go after the ball in that sense. Like they're not, they're going to heat up. They're going to heat up Sawyer. They're not going to let him feel comfortable. They're going to make him feel rushed. So he's also most comfortable. You know, we haven't really discussed this yet, but you can definitely see the offensive uncomfortability for him on anything outside of the kind of the quick throws, you know, that he is very used to taking the snap one, two steps, boom, the ball comes out. He feels very comfortable in that. Um, and anything outside of that, and I think he feels comfortable on the rollouts too, because those are you know relatively simple for quarterbacks to execute. But all of the other stuff, you can tell that whether it's him being uncomfortable in his own technique versus his rapport with the wide receivers, it's just not there yet. And so the, that that kind of passing game, I think, is going to be tough for them to execute. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so sorry, <laughs> got something caught my throat. Um, I. I, I see a path like I, I see a path to early twenties. They're gonna have to get for them to get to thirties gonna require short fields. Yeah. I think something like that. Or like just like short. or just yeah. like the first two or three times they throw bombs, they score. <laughs> you know, like you know, that kind of luck. They need yeah, they need they're gonna have to connect like Baldwin's gonna be open on on, on an over route like that's gonna happen the way they play their safeties like baldwin will be open on an over route at some point in this game can they hit that like they they're going to they're going to have to take shots because of the way they're going to play the run game and the way they have to cover the tight ends those outside receivers are going to be open for deep shots like they have to hit i would say one of those per half um and hopefully like my preference would be to Baldwin on a slot because, like, I can just see that over route on a play action and him, uh, like, one-on-one with the safety. And he's faster than any safety that Texas has. Like, he's going to be open on that play. Can they block up enough? Like, this is this is a Mateos gritty game in a lot of ways. Like, if you had if you had Shapen, you would put a little bit more on him. But when I look at this game, I think, like, Baylor gets to the mid-20s or upper-20s if the offensive line is, like – 
Category 5 level lathered up, like incoming, you know, catastrophic hurricane level lathered up. Like, and there's a chance they can get there in this game. I don't know that they're going to be able to do it. But the, the the growth in the offensive line the last two weeks has been really, really impressive. I think the tight end blocking has gotten better. Mm-hmm. If they're able to put that together on a night where it's not really hot and they feel they've got the energy to, like, really press into that, it's not going to be like it was against Utah. Um if they play really well in this game, then I think I really do think Baylor has a very good chance of getting into the mid twenties. Like Robertson is going to play better than he did against Utah, just based off of I don't think Texas defense is quite as good um, uh, overall. Um, and they, I think they probably would be by the end of the season. That's more a statement of right now. Like I think I, I, I think they're probably similarly in quality, but I think Baylor matches up a little bit better with Texas than they did against Utah. So anyway, I think that's also fair. I think that's very fair. And, you know, against Utah, like, they were able to run the ball pr- at a pretty good clip until Sawyer got hurt. So if they're able to replicate that and get into, like, let's say Baylor's at 20 points in the third quarter, then – and that that leads me to believe that they have a real shot – like, they do have a real shot in this game. They can't – they cannot turn the I – mean, everyone's always says you can't turn the ball over. They cannot turn the ball over. They have to – the other thing they have to do, they have to avoid giving – they have to avoid giving Texas short fields. Like uh, Baylor's opponents have had crazy field starting field position the first three games. I mean, it's like their own forty-seven or something like that is the average. Uh, is the average opponent field position that just that's not going to work? Like they have to get out of these three and outs that they uh, that they have early in the games. They have to be able to move the ball down the field early, and they they have to be able to make the teams go go the distance. The drives that don't work. You know, because of the way the because of the the way they kind of grind out the run game and they wear down the opponents, they have a bad tendency of not picking up those first downs. They have to get that first. Coaches call it the e, the the you call the one set of play in the NFL. You call one set of plays to get the first down, your first first down of the drive. Then you have a whole other set of plays you call after you get that first earned first down. That's what I've always that's what I've always heard the term energy called EFD earned first down. That first earned first down in this game is yeah. vital. Like if Baylor has more than two, if honestly if Baylor has more than like two, three and outs, it's going to have to be something freaky like a punt return for a touchdown or a scoop and score. Like they just cannot go out there and do two and a half minutes of game clock and punt it back and give up field position to that offense. That's yeah. just not going to work. No. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, uh, we're wrapping up here. Um, we both got to get going for the day. Um, but I think kind of what, what I'm gathering from both of us, Jeff, is probably something like, on a modal, you know, most most often game, um, you know, Texas is probably seven to ten points better we would expect in this game. But if Baylor, you know, either can hit enough big plays and or have uh, Ewers throw the ball away or you know throw the ball at Baylor defenders, that's probably what they're going to need to turn the tides. Uh, but I feel good about Baylor's offense being able to grind it out with Robertson at, to get to the low to mid twenties. Um, but it's just a matter of whether the defense either plays way better than you or I expect or turnovers. Most likely it's kind of, I think, is that kind of fair for where you're settling in at this point? Yeah, I I think my expectation, and by the way, this game would look very different to me if Dom was here and it would look very, very different if Dom and Shaker were here. This is an, this is an assessment of the, of the, of the team on the field. For me, the team on the field, like this feels Right now, I'm going to say like Texas 31, Baylor 24, yeah. and that that feels about the range for me. Um, I would love. I, I think 
I would be very surprised. I would be very, very surprised if this is not a one-possession game late in the third. Like, it feels to me that somewhere around the late third, early fourth, there's going to be, there's probably going to be a big play that's going to go one, probably going to be, wow, that's really great analysis, Jeff. But at some point late in the third, early fourth, there's going to be a play that either pushes it out of range, realistic range for Baylor, or that brings Baylor, like, in the basically, yeah, 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 in the yeah. team. And it's going to be, at that point in the game, it's going to be like 24-24, or it's or the other way around is it's going to be like 31-17, and you're like, okay, this, this is probably kind of done. Um, not not done done, but y'all know what I mean. Like, and I don't I don't know what that's going to be, but that that's going to be the crucial stance. It's going to be late third, early fourth. Can they get into it late in the fourth? If the if it is a close game late in the fourth, they'll have the energy of the crowd behind them in a way they haven't had in a while. That will push that'll push them over the line. But like, that's that's my guess. I I don't I do not see a blowout of this game. I'd be shocked. I mean, if we come back and, and Texas wins this game by twenty four points, I'll come back early next week and go, yeah, I was wrong. I had I had a wrong read on the game. Uh, Baylor was totally outclassed. But, you know, I I was at a wedding on – I was at, a, at the wedding I was at on Saturday. Like, I watched a good bit of that Alabama game. Like, Alabama's not good. Like, they're not – I mean, they're good. Sorry, that's not accurate. Alabama's a good football team. Alabama's not the Alabama of the last 15 years. Like, yeah. they're just not. And so, I, people – I think people are looking at that game and going, oh, my God, like, they, they beat the crap out of Alabama. Well, they beat the crap out of Alabama because Alabama looks like about the 25th best team in the country right now, and they beat them by 10 points on the road. It wasn't like they went in and beat Georgia or Ohio State by 10 points at their house. Like, that's – I think that's crucial for Baylor fans to know going into this. Like, Texas is a top-10 team. Like, I don't have any doubt about that. I do think there's a there's a class. We've seen this. We've seen this for a while now. Like the class, there's always this class above of like who are the real genuine contenders for the title. And the last couple of years, it's basically been Georgia and Ohio State, or just Georgia. I don't think Texas is in that class, not yet. At least I think they can be. By yeah, the they, they haven't shown that yet. But they, but as you said, they are. Do not. I, I've seen the fans doing the. Oh, you know Texas. You know they're gonna. They're always talented. But it's like, no, no, no. This is a legit top, top ten team. This is legit. This is legit. I, I think. I think it's a top five team. I think it's a yeah. top five team. I just think that Georgia and Ohio State. Like I, I, I wish my, the, my math background would say like they're not number three. Like there's a classification of like. These two teams, and you guys can't see my hands, but it's there. Georgia is in a class by itself. I think Ohio State's probably with them. And then even though Texas is three, like if you put them on the same, if, if you put them on the same field, like I think Georgia would win by two possessions at least right now. So like I think that's it's it's not they're not playing Georgia. They're playing a top five team that they can grind out against it, considering how much better than they they've been. And we'll see. Like I I'm I'm excited for this game. I, yeah. I think. I think it's I know we, game. I know we got to run here. I think the only the only real path I see to Baylor getting blown out is if the disease, if the defense is either just disastrous and can't defend at all, or if the offense like I, I if it is like oh well we should have known that was going to happen when Richard Reese or any of the Baylor young running backs runs the balls like they really are only getting the two yards like that would be really bad like if you're in consistent second and eight second and nines that's a real problem and that could lead to Baylor not really scoring so but anyway uh, we got to run. Um, but that was a lot. Uh, it's going to be fun. I'm just excited for a big night game in McLean, even though the, the, the atmosphere, or excuse me, the, the tenor of the first three weeks has been pretty lackluster, but I think fans will naturally get up for that. It'll be fun. They will. All right, Jeff. We'll take care. Have a good day. You too.